0: amen let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go to the word this morning so let's let's pray together father we come this morning and I know as we aren't gathering all together today because of uh, just Caution in view of a member who has tested positive for COVID and seeking to be wise in how we proceed. At the same time, we recognize that although not everyone is here and we know that many are right now worshiping at home online, we recognize that we come and we worship with many others this morning. That though we cannot see each other face to face, we worship with a myriad of many brothers and sisters throughout the world who are singing praises and exalting your great name. And even beyond them, the many saints who have gone before us who are ceaselessly worshiping you as we are here. And so we Glory in you right now, Lord, recognizing we aren't alone. We are to walk this Christian walk alone. But we need you in every way. And we look to you in every way. And We come not alone, but with the body of Christ. So we look to you, the living God. And our souls do thirst. And they thirst for you, the living God. They long for you. And even if there is someone who is here or online who, you know, they don't even realize that that is what their soul has been doing. Their soul also thirsts for something the world cannot provide. Our souls are restless until they find rest in thee. And so we look to you, we look to you as we recognize your mercies abound every hour, of every day, of every moment that you give us. As we're walking, as we're sleeping, or as we're waking, as we're eating, as we're working and life, provision, or whatever it may be, your mercies indeed abound, your mercies abound as we look expressly at the gospel In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of the broken world that we live in, in the midst of death, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of COVID, your mercies abound. And so may we see that and recognize that right now, regardless of what we may be going through, the the weight or emotions or whatever it may be that may be on our hearts or perhaps it's joy that fills our hearts, whatever it is, help us to recognize your mercy and be humbled and rejoice. We do pray, Father, as we do indeed grieve with those who grieve and those who have lost loved ones because of COVID, even this week. We recognize that this is part of the brokenness of the fall, the brokenness of the sinfulness of man. We pray that you would have mercy on us that soon this a pandemic would come to an end. We need your hand, Lord. We long for things to um, return to some normalcy, and especially we long for this uh, gathering of believers to be full once again. We long for all that comes with that. But we wait on you, Lord, and we trust in you. We pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters throughout the world who are in need of your grace right now, who are going through things that are on top of the pandemic, that you would be with them, Lord, and uphold them even now. Be with us at Haven, that you would help us to wait on you, trust in you, look to you in this time, however long it is, that we would not fear, we would not grow uneasy, but we look to you as our hope and joy. Grow our love grow our faith, and as we come to your word, grow our adoration of Christ. And so we pray, bless now our time in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John this morning, and uh, we'll be in John chapter 12, looking at verses 1 through 11. And so from the grievous counsel that we saw Last week, at the end of chapter 11 there, we come to our passage this morning and to this banquet for Christ. So there are a number of people there as we come to this banquet. You know, Martha is there, and Mary is there, and Lazarus is there, and Judas is there, along with, as we find out from the other Gospels as well, the other disciples are there also. So here as we come to chapter 12, in these beginning verses of it, we encounter a number of contrasts in these verses. Contrasts that will cause us and should cause us this morning to examine ourselves, even as we're, we need to do every time we come on the Lord's Day or we come whenever we meet together, examining ourselves but expressly this morning, we should come and examine ourselves in light of this question, asking ourselves, what sort of devotion do I have for Christ? What sort of devotion do I have for Christ? Is it like the psalmist in Psalm 18, one, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Or is it, I love me. Oh, myself, my strength. Is it not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, as Psalm 115, one says, or is it all to me, all to me, give my name all the glory? Or is it like Paul in Ephesians 6.24 when he says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Or, no grace needed here, I love myself with love corruptible. And so, with that question before us, you know, is... What sort of devotion do I have for Christ? We then come to our verses this morning. So let's read here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12, the Gospel of John. So may God bless the reading of his sure, true, and soul-stirring word. Six days before the Passover... But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away in believing in Jesus so in these opening verses here of chapter 12 we see that it is now six days before the Passover so this would have uh, likely put Jesus' arrival here in this verse, verse in Bethany on a Friday so The dinner then here on a Saturday or the Sabbath day. And so this would be, quite soberingly we say this, this would be Jesus' last Sabbath. And after this Sabbath, it would change the world forever. (laughs) We would now go into what? The Lord's Day. (laughs) And so by next Saturday, Jesus will have been tried, crucified, and buried. And by that Sunday, he would no longer be in the grave, but he will have been risen victorious. And so the cross, as we have seen, is drawing near, even very near. And as the cross draws near, there is no doubt that Jesus, even as we see here, he is indeed thinking on what lies ahead of him the week that is to come and all that it entails you know truly it is as the hymn i've decided to follow jesus has you know the world behind me the cross before me well wow this is his view right now on this saturday of this dinner. And so this dinner, it is held for Christ. And as you just read this and think about it, you know, you can imagine what an interesting dinner this must have been. I mean, Lazarus has just been raised to life. I mean, he was dead and now he is alive and well. And there he is sitting at the table with you. (laughs) You could point to him. And so imagine the kind of conversations that they must have had at this dinner. You know, Lazarus is sitting there looking over at Jesus, wondering and marveling at him. I mean, He just rose me from the dead. I mean, this is incredible. He did that. I mean, imagining even, you know, his sisters, you know, Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary and and how they're pondering the truth of what Jesus had told them, that he is indeed the resurrection and the life. He did exactly what he said he would do. He is those things that he said. And so we wonder about that, imagining what conversations they had during this dinner. However, for part of this dinner, we need not wonder what happened. We're told. We're not told what preceded this and, and these verses here, nor what followed, but we are given this snippet of their gathering, kind of, kind of peering into and looking into this dinner and seeing this event. And so Matthew and Mark. So if you think kind of this chapter, you know, if you're thinking like, well, you know, this isn't such a big deal. I kind of think this you know, anointing of Jesus is, I mean, it doesn't seem all that, that great. I mean, it's not that, that big a deal. Well, if you think that, just consider how Matthew and Mark point out that what is done here and what Mary does here, it will be told wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, which is what we're doing right now. <laughs> so it, it does have importance as we'll see. And so as Passion Week draws near it's fitting then that we see Mary anoints Jesus for the grave. Mary anoints Jesus for the grave and we see that in verses 1 through 3. And So we see Here we don't have, you know, we're not. I'm not putting over this Matthew and Mark, and you know, we're not going to look at that in particular today. But we also see this story in Matthew and Mark. Now, Luke, if you study this on your own, it does have uh, some particular differences that would cause us to say, along with many others, that uh, at least, without any certainty, um, that this really is not. Uh, talking about the same event that we're seeing here in John 12. It's something else, a different event that happened in the life of Christ, which really did happen. But Matthew and Mark in particular, we do see these similarities that show us that they are talking about, indeed, the same event that we're reading of here in John 12. So one difference, though, between Matthew and Mark and here is Jesus' head is anointed in Matthew and Mark, while in John, his feet are anointed. And so, I mean, if you're like, well, I mean, that's a, that's a contradiction. It's no contradiction there. It's just, they're both true. They're talking about different aspects of this kind of dinner here. And so why does, why does John, though, why does he focus on the feet? Well, John, he's doing a number of things here, but he is preparing us for John chapter 13, where here we see Mary without any instruction at all, just coming and anointing Jesus and sitting at his feet and wiping his feet. And yet Jesus then in John 13 has to instruct his disciples to wash one another's feet. And so here, though, Mary, she would sit at the Savior's feet and anoint him. And here, as we see her do this, we can take notice of a couple of things. And the first thing we notice here is her devotion. Her devotion. And so those present at this dinner, seeing what Mary was doing, they would see what she's doing, and they would think this is really strange. (laughs) This is a strange sight. So Mary, she is there sitting on the floor at Jesus' feet, pouring this expensive perfume on him. And not just that, but also wiping his feet with her hair. Now, that would be a strange sight for us today. I mean, just imagine you walk in on someone and you see, you know, your friend there and then someone else there and they're anointing their feet with perfume and wiping the hair with their perfume as well. That would be strange, right? I mean, that's strange for us. That would be odd to walk in on that. Like, what is going on here? I mean, especially not even just walking in, it would be in the midst of a dinner and a banquet. So we see and probably feel something of how this may be a little bit odd here, but it would have even been more odd in Jesus' day. So a woman taking down her hair in public was just uncouth. It was, you know, unheard of. It wasn't something you would do. But Mary does it. And she doesn't care. (laughs) She doesn't care. She's not thinking about all of that. She's thinking about Jesus who is there before her. She has seen all these glorious things that he has done and she cares about Christ. She wouldn't have known all that laid ahead for him here, but she knew he is indeed the resurrection and the life. He is her Christ and her Lord and her life and she loves him so she's not she's not thinking about everybody else she's just thinking i love this man he's my lord and i will do anything for him so it's not done here as some have posited as though she's like romantically interested in him It's not done out of any sort of impurity, but it's done from the utmost of purity. So she's not withholding her love for Christ. I think of Song of Solomon, I'm my beloved and my beloved is mine, is her heart and demeanor towards Christ. So just see the kind of devotion that she has here. So without considering the cost she takes this costly ointment and she anoints Jesus with it. And this perfume, it was made of pure nard, which, wow, it would have been taken uh, from the nard plant grown on the mountains of India. <laughs> so this was not like a, a small, like, like you could find it anywhere kind of thing. This was rare So you can imagine all the effort, time, and people it would have taken for it to get from India to Jerusalem. Hence, this is rare and it is immensely costly. And that makes sense of the fact that it is costly and expensive, such that even a little amount of this would have cost a lot of money. Yet this was no small amount here that mary has it was as we see here a pound or around 11 ounces of perfume so just to kind of put that in how you would see that today it would be about the size of a of a can of dr pepper and just think you take a a bottle of perfume that big and you just dump it all out i mean that that's gonna permeate everything right I mean that is a lot of perfume even today if you did all that right there that's a lot and we find out from Judas here which he says that he he could have sold this amount of perfume for 300 denarii which would have been worth you know a year's worth of wages so just to put that in perspective That would be around today, somewhere around $25,000, give or take, for this perfume. Do you have a perfume that expensive at home? I mean, who does? Right? This is immensely expensive perfume. But what does Mary do with it? What does she do here? I'll tell you what she doesn't do. She doesn't hold it back. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of this perfume and much, much more. That's nothing compared to how much he is worthy of. $25,000, that's nothing. He's worthy of more than that. And so we see the depth of the devotion that she has to Christ and her true, really, love for him and to her offering. You're thinking, well, this might be impure. We don't don't find any of that here. He gives no words of rebuke. He doesn't correct her saying, whoa, 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 wait. This isn't good what you're doing here. He doesn't do any of that. But he receives her devotion, and he receives her worship. And so her devotion, it wasn't an empty devotion. It wasn't her effort to try to impress Jesus or to earn his favor. It was because she already had it. Her devotion, and this is vital. You get it all wrong if you reverse all this. Like She's trying to earn his approval. That's why she's doing all this. Versus seeing that the fact that her devotion was founded and grounded upon faith. This, what she is doing here, is what faith does. And she is a model for us. A model of what true devotion to Christ looks like. Just consider then yourself in that light. Even as we sang this morning looking at Mary and her love for Christ, how then ought we to adore Christ also? This unreserved, I don't care what other people are thinking, I love Christ, I want to worship Christ, I'm giving him everything I am. That kind of devotion by faith. So it wasn't an objectless, general kind of faith that she had. She wasn't worshipping the unknown God. She wasn't worshipping Him, or she was worshipping Him who had made Himself known. Her hope wasn't in the strong name of our collective faith, as we heard from the closing prayer of the presidential inauguration this past Wednesday. Her faith was clear, it was certain, it was faith in Christ, the person. It was true devotion, real devotion, real worship because, he, because here is the real and the living Christ. So if we are doing all we do apart from faith, our religion won't look like love. It will look like chains. It will be as shackles Religion. And there are many of those. In fact, that is exactly what all of those are outside of Christianity. Christianity is not a shackles sort of faith. It's a faith that is free because through faith in Christ, our chains and our shackles, they have been undone. They have been broken. They have been shattered. And so it is that we now then live by faith. You can exhale, not by works. <laughs> Just by faith. Not by works. And so if you are listening and you're a child or you're a youth or a college Student or an adult, or you're perhaps older in your age now, just hear this today that salvation is not by works, it is by faith in Jesus Christ. Faithless devotion produces a faithless life, it produces faithless marriages. It produces faithless homes and faithless churches and faithless works. In Mary, we see here a faith-filled devotion and not a faithless devotion. And so as her love and her adoration of Christ arises out of true faith, so it is then that ours is to also You want to have this kind of adoration, this kind of love for Christ, for God, this um, uh, wonderment at God, then it is by faith you will have it in no other way. You want to grow in the Christian life, then it is a growing that is wrought by faith. So we notice then her devotion, and then second we notice her humility. Notice her humility. So Mary, she takes on this mind of a servant. She sits at Jesus' feet, you know, taking her hair, letting it down, taking her hair, and using it to wipe his feet, which is not something you wouldn't do, or at least people wouldn't do outside of servants especially with how dirty feet would be. And so we see that here, true devotion is wedded with true humility. It gladly lifts up and exalts Christ even as we are lowered and He is exalted. It prays the prayer written in the spirit of the Puritans, let me learn by paradox That the way down is the way up. That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. So we are gladly to be low that he might be high. We see no complaining on her part that she's down having to adore him in this way. We see that in Mary, this humble mentality, this I am low, let him be high mentality, and we see what we also are to be and what we are to do. We are to adore and serve him. We are to adore and serve him. And so this kind of devotion is not found when we are standing high, but when we are bowing low. So consider then, is your faith, or is yours a faith founded and grounded, or a faith, faith grounded and founded devotion? Is your devotion founded upon faith? Consider, is your heart humble and low, or is it proud and high and lifted up? How tricky it all is and how easily that kind of gets into us and how right it is we need to come back and ask what sort of devotion do we have towards christ is it all to me all to me give my name all the glory or is it not to us O lord not to us but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness So what sort of devotion is it? Now, in contrast, in contrast to Mary, in this incredible picture, this incredible model of the kind of devotion, the kind of heart, the kind of mind that we're to have to Christ, we now then turn to Judas. While Mary anoints Jesus for the grave, Judas misses Jesus for the money back. So verses 4 through 8. Here Judas, he sees all that Mary's doing and he asks and it just really, after seeing all that we just saw, it brings such an oddity to his question. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? You see how out of place that is? I mean like, she is wholeheartedly worshiping Jesus and loving and adoring him. And it's like, what about the perfume and the poor, you know? like Missing the point. So in the face of such severe, sincere devotion to Christ, Judas, he takes issue with the perfume's cost. Now, although we may balk at Judas here, I've heard... You know, many people say things of a similar vein. You know, I know Jesus is worthy of much, but I'm not so sure he's worthy of that much. I'm not so sure that he's worthy of my worship outside of this, these walls. I'm not so sure that he is worthy of my life, such that if he called me anywhere even into the mission field, even to the depths of danger on the mission field, I don't think he's necessarily worthy of that much. I don't think he's worthy of displaying that worth in my life. He's not worthy of that much. That's too far. I'll give him a tip of my hat on Sunday morning, but don't ask me to do anything more than that. You know, I remember once as a new believer, you know, I was sitting in the break room at the place I worked at, you know, many years ago. Um, and, you know, I, while I was there, one of the coworkers, he, he came in and he was a PK or a pastor's kid. And, you know, he wasn't a kid anymore, though. He was late in his late 40s or even older than that. And, you know, he saw me there, and as I, I w- as I was doing, and I did, I would carry my Bible around, you know, everywhere I went. And I had an opportunity to read my Bible during lunchtime. I would do that, and so I did, and I was reading there. And he looked at me, and he just is like, man, you need to find a girlfriend, you know. And I just am thinking, like, what? I mean, where did that come from, you know? I mean, like, I I, I, I want to know him, and... I'm just thinking, I'm not thinking about anybody else. I'm just thinking, I want to know Christ. And and that's all that's behind this is I want to know him more. And I thought if, if I ever find someone who I would marry someday, wasn't married yet, but years before I would be at that moment, I would not marry someone unless she had a love for God and his word equal to or greater than mine. And that's not boasting of myself. I'm just thinking, I'm sitting there thinking of like, what am, I looking, what am I going to look for in a woman or a wife? Well, that is someone I would want to be with, is someone who loves Jesus as much as me or more, and hopefully more. He is worthy of that much. He is worthy of that reading of the Bible. He's worthy of worshiping him and adoring him everywhere we are. And so I just say, yes, he is worthy of that much to that co-worker. He's more worthy than what any other person could give in this world. And so Mary, Mary's devotion here, it's not extreme, it's right. It's right. Well, like Mary, or perhaps unlike Mary, we also notice something here about Judas. We notice his pretense. We notice his pretense. He sets forth this religious exterior, a kind of veneer of religiosity. Well oh, you see how that perfume can be used to help the poor? It would be much more godly to give it to the poor than to waste it like you're doing. Now, We're seeing some things here that we don't always see of Judas. We don't get a lot of glimpses into Judas and what's going on with him, but we do get some glimpses here. So Judas, he is revealing some things about his own heart here. He sets forth a pretense of concern, but it's just all false. He doesn't really care about the poor. We see that in verse 6. That he he just wanted the money for himself, that's it. He wasn't thinking, oh, man, you know, what is she doing? You know, he was, but he's thinking, man, that would be, I could get so much money out of that. You know, he isn't about helping the poor. He's about helping himself. And so we see just how unique this passage is that we get a glimpse into the real Judas prior to the betrayal. A man who had already abandoned Jesus. We see his, his corrupt character already. This is something he had been doing. He wouldn't have this expensive perfume go to waste, but he would take 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. That's worth it. But that's not worth it, what she's doing. This man will forever be known for one thing, He was the man who betrayed Jesus. What a terrible... For the rest of history. When you hear that name, that's what you think of. And it, it led to that betrayal. But it didn't begin with that. It began before that. And here we see the glimmers of this heart that leads to the betrayal of Jesus. We witness a present... Threat to our faith. It reminds me of that song from you know, Phantom of the Opera. If you've seen that, you know, Masquerade. Paper faces on parade. Masquerade. Hide your face so the world will never find you. Masquerade. Every face a different shade. Masquerade. Look around. There's another mask behind you. It's the threat of wearing a mask while something different is underneath. It's all pretense. It's Ananias and Sapphira giving the money from their sold property to appear spiritual. It's not only saying one thing and doing another, but it's being something else entirely. It's trying to hide your heart from others while God, He is not fooled. He already knows. And so we see the pretense of Judas. And then we notice here also Jesus' response. He tells Judas in verses 7 through 8 to leave her alone. (laughs) Mary, she's using that perfume, perfume aright. The poor, they will continue on. This isn't saying that Jesus didn't care for the poor. But he's saying that the world will continue to be broken. But Jesus has come with a specific mission and that mission is getting ready to meet its fulfillment. And even here, Jesus is pointing amazingly, incredibly, Judas, he's pointing him towards his deepest need, which is not money, but it is Christ. He's saying, Judas, you need that thing that she's doing there. You need him whom she is adoring here, Judas. Hear me behind all the pretense that you have right now. Hear me through that. Hear hear my voice. Repent and believe and adore as you ought to do. And we can learn. As we learn from Mary, we can learn from Judas also. We can learn to beware of sin's deadly allure and deception. Beware of sin's deadly allure and deception. So money, greed, and covetousness can master your soul. There's no such thing as neutral or petty sins. It's as the the kind of story or the fable goes where the the hunter, he went and found like a leopard cub and you know raised it for his children and only to find that as that small cub became a bigger leopard, it went on to take his life. So also our little sins, they grow up to become the bigger ones. Judas would give up Christ for money. Yours may not be money. Maybe it's something else. But friend, learn from Judas and many others who this day are no longer in our churches who are no longer following Christ and who have left their life many of them in shambles. You know, I once knew a man who was a habitual liar. He would lie about everything, you know. Um, even, even things that he didn't have to lie about, you know. Just, it just didn't even make any sense, you know. He would just be talking to you and you'd lie about something. You know, he had like no reason. He just had done this. I mean, he even he lied to me on multiple occasions, you know. Well, he went on and he lost his job and he went on to lose job after job and friends and his marriage. And it all began not with that, that big kind of persistent sin that he walked in, but it began with all those little ones. So we need to be aware of sin's deadly allure and deception. There are no petty sins. And also may we learn that your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. He would lie or Judas's sin here found him out. Right? Your sin might not be known in this life, but it's known by God. Right now. I mean, Judas, he never repented or turned to Christ, but that doesn't mean that you can't. You can. And the devil will try to make you think that you're alone in your sin when you are not. He is a liar. He seeks to isolate which sounds awfully familiar, seems to isolate and destroy. But that need not be you. Christ will receive you. As Mary, look to Christ by faith. Believe. Jesus came and lived a sinless, perfect life. The life that you absolutely could not live and He died in your place and He was buried and He rose again that all your sins and debts may be forgiven forever. And what do you need to do? Not more works. You need only believe and look to Christ by faith and He will save you. Turning from sin and self and turning to the treasure, above all treasures, the Lord, who came for you. Now as we close here, there is one last contrast. The chief priests. So as they zealously want Christ to be put to death, don't want people to believe In him, they also want Lazarus to be put to death. This man who other people are looking at as evidence that what he says is true, we've got to put him to death. We cannot have anyone be a reason for people to believe in Christ. So they are persistent in their blind malice. And so to this, I'll close with this simple exhortation kind of bringing all this together. As persistent as the chief priests are in seeking to put Jesus to death, let us be as persistent in loving and adoring Christ just as we have seen from Mary. Learn from Mary. Learn from Judas. And let our devotion to Christ be real Humble, honest, and persistent. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and we come looking at this passage in view of its contrasts, in view of such a wonderful picture of worship. A wonderful picture of the kind of devotion that we are to have. And not in theory, but in truth. But then we see the other side with Judas and this pretense of of devotion. We see two different sides of this. And we are exhorted and we are warned. And we are called even to be persistent, even as a chief priest, we're persistent in trying to put Jesus to death. And Lazarus also, to be persistent in our adoration and love of Christ. So may you help us. Help us, Lord. Help us not to have a faithless sort of Christianity. Help us not to to kind of settle into that mentality of the shackles sort of kind of faith which is not faith, but the true kind of faith that we see here. Help us to ask the question that we began with, what sort of devotion do I have for Christ? Help us, Lord, to examine ourselves this morning in these things. And if there are those here who have, are walking in some sin and walking in a pretense of religion, right now may you convict them. May you help them to see that you know already that the devil is a liar and they need to repent and turn back to you. Or if there are those who don't know you at all here, and it's not even just a pretense, it's, it's nothing. It's all pretense. So we pray for them that you would help them to see just the light of faith the the glory of faith that we see here, the freedom of faith. Help them to come to Christ and believe and be saved today. So we ask for your grace and your help, Lord, and may we respond to your word and consider our hearts and examine ourselves as we sing this next hymn for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.